Throughout history, we have seen countless times the discrimination and the persecution and the torture and the genocide of Jews for the sole reason of being Jewish. I noticed that all my life, Israel education has been framed around the importance of having a safe haven for the Jewish people because having the land of Israel is about the Jewish survival. I have been armed with tools to help me defend the state of Israel against those who do not believe in the validity of her history. When I learned about Israel, it was always from a defensive and a historical and political perspective. It was about how to counter someone's claim who doesn't believe that the land of Israel should exist and doesn't believe that it belongs to the Jews. Something that you cannot learn from a class or a textbook or transmission of knowledge is the beauty of a culture and the beauty of a people and the sense of community around a place. Right now and throughout history, the media has proven to be unreliable in representing the Jewish people and in the state of Israel. There are many facets to a culture that the media does not present that people cannot and will not understand until they see it with their own eyes. As a Jew right now living outside of Israel and having the experience of living in Israel for the year, I feel an obligation to share with the world who the Jewish people are and what it means to have a Jewish land. I've asked over 30 friends from around the world to share stories about the beauty of Israel and the Jewish people that they have experienced. Keep in mind that every person I ask comes from a different culture, they have different norms, they have very different backgrounds, yet love and community and humanity remain universal and it's something that anyone can understand. Don't just take it from me, take it from them. Hey everyone, I'm Tanya Andrusier and this is my story. Um, me and my friends were hanging out one night and I had to head back to school, it was getting late. And I realized that all the buses were out of service because it was really late, it was like three in the morning. So we were walking and I was like, hey, I'll just take a taxi in like 30 minutes. So as a joke, I was like talking to all these like random cars. So I passed by this Mata truck, like um, the ambulance. And I was like, hey, like F. Charles Trump, like can I get a hitchhike, like a, like a hitch ride? And he was like, oh, like where are you headed? Like you actually was being serious. He's like, where are you headed? And I was like, oh, we're like remote area. He was like, no way, me too. I was like, stop, like, can I get a ride? He's like, yeah, of course, like, come back in 10 minutes and I'll give you a ride. I was actually, like, shocked already. And so I got into the, the truck, like, 10 minutes later, and we were just jamming out to Omar Adam, like, in the ambulance, like, at 3 in the morning in Jerusalem. Just me and this guy, it was so funny. Um, he was, like, driving me to school, like, back to school. And it got to, like, we were, like, 10 minutes away, and all of a sudden he got a call that he had to, like, run to because he's an ambulance driver. And so he, like, dropped me off, and thank God there was a bus, but he just, like, went to another call. Um, I was in my local Macolette, uh, the shop down the street from me, and this guy and his family, it's kind of like a family business. It's this um, man, his wife, and their son, who's already, you know, an adult, it's this older couple, and they've been running this Macolette for years. Like, this is their livelihood, this is their entire life that they've built up for, you know, many years. And I think that it was so powerful. Little moment, <laughs> just because it's like, when you zoom into it, it's like the sweet moment, and when you zoom out, it's so powerful. Um, I was in the Macolette, and I was shopping, doing my thing, and the guy who works there is this older man who was around, and this little girl comes up to him, she must have been like six, seven years old, and in English says to him, um, excuse me, um, do you, uh, speak English and you know living in Eflat it's a mixed community there are a lot of Anglos there's a lot of Olim here so even though this man is Israeli very Sephardi very you know OG Sabra he was like yeah I understand and the little girl said oh okay then she's like okay um do you work here <laughs> and he smiled and said yes because he owns the Makolet 
and um, she said, you know, my friends and I want to buy something, but we don't have any money. We want a treat, but we don't have any money. Can we just take the food now and come back later and pay for it? And without hesitation, the man who owns the Makulet smiled. He said, of course, take what you need, take what you want. Don't worry. And he tells the cash register, don't worry. I allow it. They're allowed to take what they want. And it was just this sweet, sweet, sweet interaction. Now, the power of this that I see is only Israel is when you zoom out, we're in this war. There's been limited supply of a lot of, you know, imports, exports. He is down workers who aren't allowed to come into the issue. There's a lot of people on Miluim. There are people who are out. Like just the whole community is just a little bit on a lower percentage. And the fact that this McCullough owner wanted to preserve this level of the reality of the sweetness and the utopia that exists here for these little kids, I think to me is the most only Israel thing in the world because all we want to do in Israel is preserve the idea and reality of a just pristinely authentic and altruistic life, a life of goodness and meaning and valor. Um, I remember when I did a gap year in Israel, I went to the Shuk on a Friday. And I remember my dad telling me that we had a cousin, long relative that, that lived in Israel, but he's never met him. But he told me to go find him, but it was always in the back of my head. And I remember like a random Friday, I was walking, I was like, yo, like he looks familiar. And like, I asked him like, hey, what's your name? And he told me his last name was Hilu, which is my, my last name. And it ended up being that he was like, you know, my uncle of, of some sort. Hi, my name's Aliza Amiel. I made Aliyah to Israel two months ago from New Jersey. My story that can only happen in Israel happened around this time last year where I met this old homeless man who didn't really speak Hebrew, didn't really speak Arabic, didn't really speak English. No, no one really knew what language he spoke because no one could really understand what he was saying. But every time someone walked past him, they would always look at him very strange and, you know, look at him as if he wasn't human almost. Um, and I decided, you know what, I think it's time for me to go introduce myself. And once I did that, he looked at me and smiled. And, you know, he tried explaining to me some sort of story about him, but I really couldn't understand. But the whole time, you know, I was just like there and I was smiling with him. And all of my friends were like so amazed that, you know, you can just walk up to someone in Israel and just become their their friend. So after that, this man, um, I'd see him all the time, all around Yerushalayim, um, and I would say hi to him, and he would always get so excited when someone, like when I came up to him and approached him, and I, and I gave him a high five, um, and it was just such a wonderful thing. I don't think I could ever do that in America and walk up to someone and create, you know, a friendship. Hi, I'm Aaron Gershwig. I'm from South Florida. And my story is I went on birthright this summer for the first time I was in Israel. And on Friday night, we went to the hotel and we were staying around an hour away. And as we're walking back, it was the first time that I, you know, I ever experienced that everyone around me for the hour back was celebrating Shabbat and going to their family's homes or friends' homes to unite and like celebrate this day of rest. 
it was really, you know, nice to see that all of this was happening around me. And every house we went to had people coming in, celebrating, and it was really a great feeling that I've never experienced anywhere else and probably won't ever experience anywhere else except for Israel and Jerusalem. It was Pesach, and I was really excited because Pesach is my favorite Jewish holiday. So I was in the store making like the usual groceries from the week, and I saw a lot of things that were kosher from Pesach that I couldn't believe they were kosher to Osa. And I was really excited because I couldn't believe in, that in our beautiful country, I had these things accessible to me and to go again to the supermarket and see like all the hamets covered up and everything was really, really like crazy. And that was the moment when I really felt like the importance of our Jewish nation and how awesome it is to have like our country and everything. Basically, this story takes place two years ago at this point on the holiday of Sukkot. So I was living in Jerusalem because I was taking a gap year between high school and college. And for the first day of the holiday, I was going to go meet a friend who was in Caesarea at his cousin's. And I was going to spend the first day of the holiday with them. So a little bit of background on Sukkot, you're supposed to take these four plant species and shake them around and make some blessings and stuff. So one of them is um, is an etrog or a citron, which is like a funny looking citrus fruit. It's like a lumpy lemon with a fancy hat. The hat is called the pitom. And the important thing about the pitom is that if you don't, if it is broken, it's very fragile. And if it breaks, then you can't use it for the, for the ritual, for the blessing and all that. That's important. So basically I'm packing up my stuff pretty late in the afternoon before the holiday. And I'm like rushing because I'm like going to catch like the last bus to get to the... To my friend's cousin because it's a far bus ride and i didn't realize that it was like new to the country and they didn't fully understand how the public transportation worked so i'm packing up all my stuff and as i'm packing the pitom breaks and i'm like oh man i'm like it's too late to buy another one before the holiday starts like i'm, I'm just screwed so i'll borrow somebody's for the first day and I'll figure it out when I get back to Jerusalem, like buy another one or something. Anyways, I'm back in Jerusalem the day after, and I'm like, okay, I need to get me another another one of these etrogs, one of these these funny lemon citrus things. And I'm walking around, and I'm like, yeah, sure, they're gonna they're gonna have them like all over, you know, the city. Like everybody's gonna be selling them, you know, like it's it's Jerusalem. And I'm looking around, I'm like in the center of town, I'm like, why is nobody has them? Like, what what happened? Because like a week ago, everybody had a thousand they were trying to sell. Now nobody has any. So I'm like, oh, I was I was getting frustrated. I see this guy walking around, and this is like the center of town, like one of the, the main streets. And he has like all the plant, the four species, the plant species, and he's going around. And it's like, oh, do you want to shake it? Do you want to do the blessing? Do you want to do that? He's going around a bunch of random people asking them. And I go up to him, I'm like, hey, man, um, yeah, this is all in Hebrew. So I was like, hey, man, like, do you know where I can get an extra etrog? My, my, my pitom broke off. And he responded, and again, this was in Hebrew. He responded, he's like, oh, yeah, I have a second one back in my place. We can go, like, stop over there and we can we can get it. And two things. One, I was like, this is a little sketchy. Like, I don't know this guy. He's like, yeah, come back to my house. I got I got an extra, you know, etrog for you. And the second one was like, he had, like, a bit of an accent in his hebrew so i was like okay it's a little sketch because i don't know this guy but like i asked him like hey like where are you from and i can tell you got an accent where are you from he's like i'm from miami this is again in hebrew he said i'm from miami and i i respond in english i'm like dude me too like what's your name and he told me his name i'm like is your brother noah he goes yeah and i'm like 
man, I went to high school with him. So like, it was like this the older brother, this guy that I went to high school with, and I was like, what, the, what is going on? So I'm like, yeah, I'll go back to your house. I'll get you. I'll get, I'll, you know, I, I trust you, whatever. It's like, that's fine. So I go over to him and he's like, we're like chilling. He's like, gives me some food, gives me some like tea and, and you know, cookies and stuff. And like, we're just hanging out. Hi, my name is Leah. I'm from Ecuador and I lived in Israel for a year. And one small story about a thing that happened to me that would only happen in Israel is that I was getting a cab to go and meet my uncle for Shabbat. And uh, it was right before Shabbat started and the taxi driver was speaking to me and I said like, oh, your land is beautiful. And he said, no, it's our land. And yeah, like my Hebrew is not that good, but we were speaking in Hebrew like I tried and he was incredibly nice. He gave me like life advice and family and like being close to them. It was a pretty nice experience. And I think it's just beautiful how you would like strike a conversation with a stranger and realize that you both share this like common place, which is Israel. And I don't know, I think that's a good example of something that would only happen in Israel. Once over Pesach break, my friend took me and a couple other friends on a hike near Beit Shemesh. It, the hike was up a mountain into a cave. So my friend who was leading this hike, she did a lot of research using this really cool blog called Hiking the Holy Land. So anyways, we ended up going two hours in the wrong direction. Okay, fine. We finally found where we were supposed to be going. We get into the cave and guess who's sitting in the cave? The writer of the blog. That was crazy. Her whole family was there. They just happened to be doing that hike that day. So that was really cool. We were all fangirling. We were playing Jewish geography with her in a cave. And then we ended up getting a ride back to Jerusalem from the blog writer's sister and brother-in-law who were also on the hike. One experience that I have that would literally only happen in Israel, obviously, was at the Kotel. It was right before Yom Kippur. So everyone goes to the Kotel with the Western Wall and they pray and we do something called slicho which is where we ask hashem for forgiveness so there were so many people there it was insane like thousands of people were there and there was just just this aura where we we're all singing together and crying together and it was just so magical and beautiful and i really thought to myself only in israel because literally only in israel would that ever happen so my year in Israel, I was with my friend on Hanukkah time and we went to Meisharim, which obviously is like a very from place. So we had to dress the part and we were wearing long skirts and sweaters and we just looked like very from whatever. We had a nice time there for Hanukkah and then we got on the bus and it was like raining out. So the windows were foggy and there was these two other yeshiva kids, like Chabad kids sitting in front of us and they were playing tic-tac-toe on the window. Then my friend was like, you're doing the strategy all wrong. Like this is how you're supposed to do it. And we just started a conversation with like these random kids we've never met before. And I think they're Haredi because they're wearing a black hat. They think we're Haredi because we're wearing like pleated skirts. And it was like really funny because we were like both like we both thought we were like something else, but it was still such like a natural, funny conversation. And we ended up like talking for such a long time that we missed our, our bus stop. And we were like, OK, we don't know where we are. We're kind of lost right now. Where are you guys going? And they're like, we're going to the mall. So we're like, OK, like whatever. Like, we'll just go to the mall with you guys. It's fine because these are two random boys we've never met before. Obviously, the normal thing to do is just go with them wherever they're going. Right. Yeah, that would never happen in America and Israel. 
obviously that's like a allowed that's like a normal activity so we go to the mall with them and we're like best friends with them like all of a sudden attached by the hip and we <laughs> we get dinner with them and then we never see them again and that to me is what it means to be only in israel kind of moment because you meet people that like it's okay if you're never gonna see them again because like you're still gonna think about them for a while and i think you form such quick close friendships because you skip all the stages of like how it is in america where it's like what's your favorite color rah 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 like all these like stupid things that don't really help you get to know a person you kind of skip that and in israel it's like you just like are automatically connected with them in a different sense because you already have the spiritual and cultural connection established so the rest just comes a lot more naturally that's an only in israel moment for me for sure so when i think about israel my mind goes back to last simcha torah exactly a year from the horrible attack that just happened i was in yeshiva with some amazing guys some amazing rabbis and we went to the old city for some torah and we had a few torahs and we had about 50 guys and our mission was just to spread positivity to dance around to celebrate the holiday so we went from one side of the old city starting off with 50 guys just dancing around singing getting other random people involved then we ended up all the way at the other side of the old city at the Kotel after probably an hour and a half of dancing and, you know, high level ruach and energy. And by the end, we probably had somewhere between 300 and 400 people with us dancing and singing and even more into it than we are. I think Israel represents a community and a place of unity for all types of people. Not everybody there was Jewish. People there just they saw the pop positivity and they were attracted to it. So I hope Israel keeps that positivity even in times like this. Hi, I'm from Mexico City and I was last year in Israel. And for me, something that uh, was very magical to experience that I realized could only happen in Israel is on Friday before Shabbat, uh, there's people on the streets giving as a gift Shabbat candles so everyone will have candles in their house and it was something really special because I uh, actually use those candles a lot of time and it helped me continue the Jewish traditions. Hi, my name is Naomi Reichenberg. Um, I'm from Boca Raton, Florida. And last year I had the privilege of learning in a seminary, which is like a gap year program for learning called Michlala. And Michlala is kind of on like a hill. And at the top of the hill, um, there's a Shomer, which is like the guy that like, like protects like and watches and just makes sure that no one gets in that like isn't supposed to. They're basically like a guard on duty. And in most places, like you would just like have an ordinary like officer or someone watching the place. But it was always really cool to us that like, we had a few different like shomers like they would switch off like they each have shift but it was always really cool to us that one of them although he was on the job like when things weren't so highly intense um he spent his time like writing like um Sifrei Torah he's a sofer he's someone that physically writes out like the bible and that's a mitzvah like a commandment like a commandment we have in the Torah so it was just really cool that like not only was he protecting us but also like the mitzvot he's doing are protecting us and that wouldn't happen anywhere else except for Israel that there would be someone on the job but really like their whole life is mitzvot and like the second he has a spare moment like he's just craving to do mitzvot we were going to a to a blood drive 
um and it opens at 10 and we got there at like 9 30 a.m because we wanted to be a little, a little bit earlier i guess and um literally we were 30 minutes early already and there was like a line like going outside like there were like already a ton of people in front of us and we waited there for like two three hours from even since before it opens and by the time we got out there were like hundreds of people like hundreds of people just waiting in line to give and donate blood to like do anything they can and literally the woman in front of us was telling was telling us about how the day before she waited in line for like 11 hours just to be able to donate her blood and like and like they had to send her away because they had too much too many people show up so she waited in line again the next day just to be able to give blood she literally just spending all her time just because she wants to help call her and help donate blood um and there it was really nice because like there's so many people like passing out drinks and like snacks and like ices and like just like talking to people seeing how everyone doing it was really nice i i saw this text that was going around of like people they needed help tying tt for soldiers which is already like insane me and two friends put in a random address like we had no idea where it was um, we walk into the building and it's just like a room of like 40, like 30 to 40 guys just like sitting there tying to this. No one knew who each other were. Like, I don't know how we got there. No one, like I had no idea where in Jerusalem I was. I just saw that I just put it in and they were so happy for us to be there. He like gave me like a big smile, and, like gave us TT and we we're just sitting there tying with like 40 random guys. And then at the end, they were starting. They started dancing, like, I'll shame it's what's, shame it's what's titi, which is like something you say while you're tying titi, like for the sake of the mitzvah. And they were just going in a circle, dancing while singing that. The entire time, me and my friends were just saying like, me can't play throughout. Like what is like nation of Israel that come together to like try and like help elevate and bring Kedusha to like literally the army that's protecting us. Hi, my name is Nicole and I'm from Quito, Ecuador. And something that only happens in Israel is the way people take you into their home. On my gap year in Israel, I had nowhere to stay in Rosh Hashanah and an Israeli girl I met there invited me and all of my friends over to her house and they fed us an amazing meal. They allowed us to stay the night in their house in Tel Aviv. They took us out to the beach and took us out to a bar and it was just a really amazing Rosh Hashanah and it compensated for the fact that we were so far away from our family members in, in Ecuador. Israel never lets you feel alone it never lets you feel far away from from home and from your family because it's like there will always be a home and a family there for you I think that the most amazing part about living in Israel last year, I lived in Malcha, which is on a hill, um, and it basically overlooked all of Yerushalayim, like a suburb perspective, I guess. And every Shabbos and every Yantif, you can look outside and you would literally be able to count the cars. Like maybe, maybe there would be five, like never ever like any any traffic, never any like intense cars. You can walk through the streets of Yerushalayim and there wouldn't be any anyone driving. I remember thinking like every single Shabbos, like this is what it means to have a Jewish nation. We're all in the same page even if we're all not religious there's like a sense of respect that everyone gives especially in your shalim i can't speak for the rest of the country but in your shalim there's this level of utmost respect for one another and because of that you really see like no cars like no one's really like everyone's on the same page of like what day it is and how holy it is uh, hi my name is jacob i'm from sweden for well, simcha torah in israel last year and me and my friend going to a shul with everyone else and we were a bit late but we were like hurrying to this shul and on the way we see another shul and they like we heard lots of music and it looked really fun so we decided to do a quick pit stop and you see what was going on in there and so we like peek our heads through the window and uh, we see a lot of people dance with toras and it's like loud music going on and it looks really fun and we're like okay this looks nice but like we should really get going to our friends and before we get a chance to chance to walk away we like go to the other shul 
um, the rabbi from Dashul comes over to us and be like, oh, hi, how are you guys? Where are you from? I've never seen you here. We're like, oh, yeah, hi, we're just passing by. And I don't even know how, but somehow I ended up with a Torah in my hand, like in my, yeah, in my hand. And we started dancing with it. And we were in the middle of the show and it was like so happy to see us and everything. And it was just like, great sense of community like we were, we were just like stopping by just to see what's going on and we ended up dancing with everyone in there and it felt like we were like belonging we eventually had to go and then I was like okay and then he said like the rabbi was like okay yeah i get it no problem but we stayed in touch throughout the year with him and we went to him for shabbos lunch a few times and so yeah that's a story i think only would happen in israel First thing that I was thinking about was I got the opportunity to live in Israel for a year in high school and college, and I went to a school with Israelis. So I made a lot of Israeli friends very quickly, <laughs> even though my Hebrew wasn't so good at first. But I never really, like, especially at the beginning, didn't really have the opportunity to leave the school because it was during Corona. And then, like, every single weekend after that, I had the opportunity to go for Shabbat um, to someone's house. And, like, not only did I was I welcomed so warmly into so many homes um, of friends who I met that year but also into their their friends homes like so warmly by like their friends by their friends families and there was one week where the whole where we had to go quarantine um the whole country was under lockdown and uh one of my friends from Vivat Shmuel so I need to eat a place to go that week my friend from Vivat Shmuel welcomed me in um and I stayed at her house for a whole week with nothing in return such a wonderful time like it was the first time the whole year that I really felt at home they were so like her entire family was so warm and so welcoming it was just on and it didn't really feel like we were under quarantine and then i think the part that was like most touching to me was that at the end of the week um we were going back to school and every single weekend that i would go to someone's house or even if i if it if, if if anyone was going home, um, all the girls who were Israeli, they would come back with like some food from their mom, with some leftovers from Shabbat, um, all packaged up. And they would like eat it for the next few days um, until it ran out. And it's like the sort of thing that you do if, if you're able to be home. And after spending a week at her house, for nothing in return, they really just opened their arms widely to me. Her mom like ordered a bunch of groceries, um, just like their weekly grocery shopping. And uh, like kept in mind what she was gonna send with her daughter back to school. She made her schnitzel, she like bought her fruit that she liked and stuff. And so right before we were about to leave, her mom like hands her her schnitzel and her fruit and everything that she bought for her for the next week next few days to bring back to school and then her mom turns to me and hands me this like beautiful bag of like schnitzel and fruit and everything that she made for her and it was just like a really I think it was sort of emblematic of what happens in in Israel a lot of times is that people who you just meet who quickly become friends um, even faster than that even faster than you realize they become family and whether that manifests with someone's mom like taking over for a minute while you're studying abroad and becoming your mom and making you some schnitzel or some food for the next few days and really just being thoughtful because like people really just treat you like family it was such a positive and warm gesture um and like so thoughtful something that like someone wouldn't even think about that i was studying abroad and i didn't have food um and i didn't have a mom to give me her amazing leftovers from shabbat so that was definitely the first story that came to mind about beautiful gestures of israel where people treat each other like family I'm Maya, I'm from London, um, and last year I spent a year in Israel, and basically, um, one time I was on the beach in Netanya, it was like, on a Shabbat, um, we all sat on the beach, and we were sat there, and I could see a family playing cricket, and my brother and my dad really uh, into cricket, so I was listening to, I was not listening, I was watching them play, and I was like, they must be English, and I wanted to join in, so I got up to them, I'm like, do you mind if I join in? I'm um, saying that, that, like, my parents, my, my dad and brother play cricket, I know how to play, I want to, like, try ball. Anyway, I started speaking to the mum, and it was like two families, it was like a mum and an uncle, I guess, and like, 
like all of their kids and it turned out that they knew my family really well like they knew my parents and yeah it's just a really good Jewish geography moment on the beach and it's like such a small world it was great one experience I've had that has really stood out for me being in Israel this year during this time has um has been that I was away for uh, for a weekend with a couple of friends of mine at his um at his cousins and you'll be at a great great um great Shabbos and it comes to uh, comes Saturday night and we had to we had to dive in Marv and right before we were about to start praying we realized we only had nine guys. We needed ten. We needed to find the ten. And so without much hesitation, the the father of the father of the house walked into Main Street. Not necessarily a street of like a real like thriving Jewish community with like, you know, everywhere you look there's just a Jew here and a Jew there and walked onto the street, saw a couple of Jews walking, picked them up and was like, Without more if you guys wanna come, we need a tenth. We'd love for you guys to come and help us make our minion. And these people came. And I thought it was something that's really, really inspiring to see and really beautiful to be able to experience. As it's, you know, people have a lot of, there's obviously a lot of differences here. And there's things people agree on, there's things people disagree on. But it's really nice to be in a place where everyone's unified by one thing. Not just the fact that they live in the same place, but they, they feel the same thing. They believe in the same thing. It's something, that, something that's just beautiful to watch and beautiful to be a part of. So I think that's, that's one experience that definitely stands out for me. Hi, I'm Lily Rudensky. I'm from Florida. And something that I think is that is very unique to Israel is the care for other people, even strangers. There are so many times where Israelis will just come up to random people and invite them to their houses for Shabbat. Um, but something that I remember is that one time I was in the train station and I was in a rush and I guess my wallet was upside down or something while I was holding it and a lot of money and in my ID and a lot of things fell out while I wasn't while I was walking and I didn't realize. And this man just came up to me, handed it to me without saying a, saying a word and went about his day. And I was like, wow. Basically me, Abigail, Leila and Sarah, we were talking about religion um, in line at Zara in Jerusalem. And this guy turns around and started giving us like a harsh like talk in a way, in a, in a very nice way, but like it was a good harsh talk about how you shouldn't put yourself in a box. And he started like quoting different um, different verses from like our like Jewish books and giving us literal like evidence of why you shouldn't put yourself in a box or and stuff like that. And being a Jew is just being a Jew. There's no need to like label it or something like that. So Israel's really been coming together these past couple of weeks in light of what's happened. And it's really nice to see, honestly. We have uh, people from the community, or honestly, just we have the communities of the religious alt-right coming and merging together with uh, people on the political left or on the religious left spectrum, whatever you want to say, all coming together, all po all protests stopping, all fighting in the streets stopping. We have We have everyone coming together, going up to tanks and just giving them food and food and more food. So my rabbi in yeshiva, was actually just telling me or telling our yeshiva a story of what happened so he's found out that a lot of the soldiers have been getting a lot of potato chips and like snacks and goodies whatever it is because you know people just want to keep on giving them food because they're so thankful to them everyone across the country um there's videos all over social media about it and <laughs> the soldiers are saying back to them please stop we're gonna get fat because of all the the stuff you're giving us it's honestly amazing to see we have yeshiva and seminaries i'm in a group chat where it's called hashtag, um, hashtag not leaving or staying where we are. I actually don't even know the name, but it's, it's, it's a group chat around about seminary and yeshiva students staying in Israel, not moving. We're not fleeing and we're doing what we can. We're learning and we send everyday pictures of us 
whether it's packaging food to send to the soldiers, do, um, emptying bomb shelters, for example, or, or tying TT, because a lot of the soldiers want to wear some religious garments because that's just what they're into. Now that it's wartime, just extra thing to make them feel safe. And on top of that, playing with kids because they're off school, whether it's kids with special needs or kids just in general. We, we Today, my yeshiva hosted like a whole sports thing for kids who were displaced from the south who needed to flee up to where I live. Thank God it's, uh, it's uh, quiet up here, but it's just beautiful to see across the board everyone helping each other. I guess like remembering back from Israel, I remember just walking on Ben Yehud on a Friday and just hearing Shabbos music like playing and it would just elevate the day and like put it into the spirit of Shabbos. And I remember just going to Shabbos, always so excited after walking like on Ben Yehuda Street and seeing all the music and everyone just being so like happy and besimcha. That's just something that I think of first when I think of like our nation all together. My name is Eli Plotkin. And over this past summer, I worked in a children's home in Israel with a program called Kolonarim. And one very unique moment that really sets Israel apart in my mind for me was sort of at the beginning of the year, or at the beginning of the summer, I would say, when we went, we all went to the Kotel in order to pray, bond, sing together, and really like connect to the land because it was a very Zionistic program and very connected to the land of Israel. And so we went, about 100 people or so, we went dancing, singing, but, and normally you'd assume that would be all, like, it's just like you guys, everyone gives you weird looks and that's the end of it. But there, we end up having strangers, religious, non-religious, ultra-religious joining us, uh, singing, dancing. I had random people on my shoulders. I was on random people's shoulders. And we ended up spending two hours there dancing with strangers at the hotel. And it was really just set apart Israel in my mind because it showed me just how connected the communities are with this underlying connection to the land. Whether you're religious or not, there's really an inherent connection and nationalistic sense in Israel that you don't find anywhere else. So that moment was very special for me. This is Becca. I wanted to share one of the many stories that makes me so grateful that I have Israel in my life. Uh, last summer, I was living in Tel Aviv and my friends and I decided to go to the Tel Aviv Pride Parade. And there I was wearing a low cut bikini top and short shorts. And I was gonna try going from the Pride Parade back to my apartment in time to go to Renana for Shabbat. So I leave the Pride Parade early before my friends wanted to go. And I put in my address, I put in Higher Cone Street. And I did not know that in Israel, every city has the same street names in it like which is just wild to me so i put in higher cone street i don't check tel aviv because i'm like how could it not be so i'm walking for about an hour which i thought was a little bit odd and i'm looking past my neighborhood and i see like talito like hung up like drying and stuff and i'm like this is so wild this is not my beachside apartment in tel aviv so then i put in i look down at my phone and i see that i'm in b'nai brock and B'nai Brock is famous for being like Haredi Jews. The way I was dressed is completely inappropriate. And my phone was at about 4% and I was terrified. I called my friend from Renana and she's like, Becca, there's no way that you're in B'nai Brock. I share my location with her. She's laughing at me because 
I'm in a Haredi neighborhood dressed like a streetwalker. And she's like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, I get on the bus. I get down on a stop. Everyone's staring at me because I'm dressed very much not for the occasion. And then I try getting onto another bus, but my phone died at that point. I have no idea where I'm going. And I see this random woman. She was an Ole from, I think, the UK. And she was so beyond kind with me. She paid for my bus fare. She gave me her portable charger so then I can find my way. And she like hugged me to ward off all the mean stares that I was getting. And I made it to my friend's house in time for Shabbat. And that's my story. My name is Aiden Harrow. I'm from Boca Raton, Florida. Um, I spent the last two years living in the old city of Jerusalem. And unfortunately, I, uh, I tore a ligament in my ankle last year. So I was wearing a, a boot for a while. Uh, one day I missed Mincha, so I was going down to the Kotel to Davin. And on my way down, um, a Haredi Jew wearing a black hat and, uh, and a suit walked past me. He saw my boot and he wished me a refuge lema. Uh, I was really surprised because normally in America, nobody would give you a second look. Um, I kept walking and then a soldier walked past me. He also saw my boot and he also said refuge lema. Uh, so at this point, I was pretty shocked because I'd never seen that before. And then when I got down to the bottom of the stairs, a secular Jew with tattoos and dyed hair and piercings, he also walked past me, looked at my boot, and wished me a foolish lame as well. Uh, so that was just a really special experience for me. It shows the diversity of the Jews in Israel and how much everybody really cares about their fellow Jew. So one of my favorite stories is my friend's fiance. Uh, he woke her up on Simchat Torah morning when the war began. And he said, I'm packing a bag. I have no idea when I'll be back. Um, and I need to leave soon. And she, you know, they had a really sad goodbye, but she saw him again a few days later when she went with his father, her future father-in-law, um, to drop off a delivery of supplies to his army base. And when she dropped off the supplies before she left, she asked him if he needed anything else. And he said, yeah, we could use probably um, some pairs of tzitzit and she says okay she goes back um, and when she's at home and ready to make the order for tzitzit she calls him and she's like okay so how many pairs do you want and her fiance is in an elite combat unit where him and one other soldier are the only religious uh, the only religious soldiers in the unit like in their specific uh, squadron. I don't really know how it's called, but so in their squad, they're the only religious ones. And her fiance was very used to people um, challenging his religious practices and traditions and being like, why do you wear a kippah? Why do you wear a tzitzit? Why do you put on tefillin? And he's used to sort of answering these questions, but often challenges. And so to, you know, was pretty surprised when she asked how many and he says, yeah, okay, I think between 100 to 150 pairs of tzitzit. And she's, um, she doesn't understand. And, and then it turned out that his entire unit or squad, whatever, wanted to wear tzitzit and wanted a pair. And they all wanted to be wearing them together. Apparently they also all line up to try on his tefillin every morning. You know, I think it's just a really beautiful reflection of, you know, you could argue that it's on a united front for everyone to be together and to be practicing the same things and it creates good morale. And then I also think that there's a real spiritual wave that's hit Israel 
um, since the war that just makes everyone, I don't know, a little bit more open and inspired. So now, you know, there's an entire elite combat unit that went from two boys wearing seats to like anywhere between 100 and 150. So that's one story I liked. Another thing that I definitely think <laughs> could only happen in Israel is there was a funeral that I went to of a the seminary that I went to for my gap year um, sent out a list of names of soldiers or people injured or people missing um, that were like related to alumni of our seminary and basically just gave out this list so that people could daven for each other and pray for each other. I was looking at this list one morning and I think it was the fourth day of the war on a Wednesday and I was just scanning for names that I could quickly say before I went to work that I could, you know, uh, daven for them. And I only said like three or four names. I didn't have like so much time. But the last name I caught, I had never met this girl personally, but I had heard of her from mutual friends. And I saw that she wrote down the name of her husband. So I daven for him to come home safely and, uh, you know, to be protected and all of that. And then at noon that day, I get a text on the same group chat of all of all of our seminary alumni that is um, notifying everyone of this man's funeral, uh, which is going to be that evening. And I had no idea that he died. I didn't know when he was killed in, in combat, but um, I felt very compelled to go to the funeral. So I found a ride to Har Herzl that night and I went to his funeral. His name was Yosef Gdalia, uh, he's made a lot of headlines because he really is like, he was an exceptional person. And um, so you may have heard of him, but I went to his funeral and I, the big thing for me was the surprise that I expected to leave that funeral really down and broken and, and, just that, you know, I would decide, okay, I have to forget about this as much as I can and move on because it's just too sad to think about. But that wasn't how I left feeling at all. You know, I, each person that stood up to speak, especially his, his widowed wife who spoke about him for like 25 minutes, you know, obviously it was heartbreaking and everyone was crying and everyone was unbelievably sad. But with each person that spoke, they also added this feeling of, real hope and almost duty and privilege in being able to continue the fight that that Yosef died for and it, it, it was it was just incredible to me that a few days after he was killed in combat he died on the first day of the war on October 7th um, fighting in Gaza or sorry in Kfar I think it was Kfar Aza and it, you know this wasn't like a few years down the line when everything was was easier and it wasn't after we won the war and had this great victory this was a few days after he died and we were already speaking or they were already speaking about um upholding his mission and keep the keeping on the fight from israel and the right to our land and the right to our, defend ourselves and the right to um just the joy i think of being part of this nation and uh it was just an incredible feeling to leave a funeral feeling of course this immense sense of loss but also more powerfully like this this sense of of continuity and 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 uh inspiration and pride and i think that that's something that belongs especially to 
the Jewish people, um, and especially in our relationship to our land. That was another very meaningful story from the past few weeks. We were camping in the south, in the middle of a crater called Machtesh Ramon. It was me, uh, Mati, and Sham. So all of us are like 19. And while we were there, we saw a group of, I think like middle schoolers or elementary school kids, and they were there on a camping trip also with their school. Friend Sham was doing a fire show with his fire poi, which are like balls of cloth dumped in gasoline and then lit on fire and they're attached to a chain. So he was doing a bunch of cool tricks with it. And then the kids came up with their teacher and they said, can you show us, like do a fire show for us? So we went over, uh, Sham did a fire show for them. They built a little campfire and we sat around the campfire uh, talking about like where we're from, uh, what we're doing here. Some of the kids asked to play with it. Sham obviously didn't let them, but he gave them a really good show and they loved it. And then we just went back to our tents and went to sleep. Um, so it was very hard to decide what to talk about. In the end, I chose to share the story of how two good friends of mine and me went to Hebron for the Shabbat of Chayei Sarah. And that could have been already the end of the story, because where else, if not in Israel, you can just read the Torah, the parasha, and then point your finger and say, yeah, right here it happened, that was it. Um, but no, that's not uh, my point. What I really wanted to talk about is that we got hosted for the meal. We slept in a tent in the park, which was very nice uh, atmosphere, I think most of the visitors did but we got hosted for the meals and we got hosted by a family whose name I don't think I ever knew they were very humble it was really not about like hey I am the big host everybody come to my house but they just opened their their house their apartment and it reminded me of Avram's open tent because everybody could just come in and be welcome they had more than enough food for everybody they didn't have space for everybody and they still let everybody in so in the end we ended up having our Shabbos meal on the stairs in the hallway which in the moment I was like kind of blind in the moment itself you know uh, and I thought why would you do that it's too many people it's not comfortable but that was foolish of me to think because obviously the alternative would be okay so you cannot come to Hebron which would be very basa to miss yes it's like really made me feel like that's what Hebron is all about. That's where Avram Avinu is, and that's what he taught us, and that's what's in our blood. And this humble family really perfected it, kind of, uh, and really taught me a lesson for life. Okay, so my only in Israel story, I have a few. One of them is that at some point last year, I was waiting at a bus stop at night by myself, like on the side of a highway. Um, like near Beit Shemesh, so I didn't think it was dangerous or anything. And like a group of Arab workers were also waiting there. And like just to, like I wasn't sure, but I knew my bus was coming soon. And a man pulled his car over like to the bus stop and asked me why I was waiting alone. And I said like, I don't know, I thought it was fine. And he said like, you shouldn't wait here alone at night. It's not safe. Nah, nah, nah. So he waited in his car with me and like I told him my bus was in like two minutes and it ended up being late and taking like half an hour or something and like no questions asked like just like an older Israeli man just like waited and and like he worried about me as if I was like his daughter or granddaughter or something like could have just driven on and like you know you see people doing dangerous things all the time um but like he really cared for my safety and then another story similarly I was having a hard time like one of the first days getting to Israel and I was sitting like on the kibbutz somewhere and um, talking to my mom and I was crying and um, this woman pulled her car over and she and her husband both got out and like came to make sure I was okay 
And I told them like, yeah, I just miss my family. And she said like, she totally understands. And she did share it with me in Hul. So like, she knows what it's like. And they invited me over for dinner that night and like made me take their number and just like really cared for me. And I got to sort of repay the mitzvah again a couple months later when I was driving around with friends, giving out cookies to soldiers. And we were driving through a frat and we saw a girl walking, like also at night. She was like walking along the road, like sobbing. Like she looked really, really upset. Um, and we were debating like, should we say something? What should we do? Like she might not want to be bothered. In the end, we decided to pull the car over and my friends got out and went over to her and like we watched from the car and like they didn't say anything to each other. Like she just gave her a hug, gave her cookies and we saw the girl like crying. Um, and she came back and we were like, what did she say? What's wrong? And she said, I don't know, I didn't ask her. She just gave her the cookies and like gave her a hug and that's it. Like, also, no questions asked. Saw someone who looked sad and like just like went to make them feel happier. Um, and those are all like examples off the top of my head. And I could probably come up with so many more times where people just like care about you as if you are their sister or daughter or best friends, total strangers. And that's like a huge part of the beauty of Eris's trial is that like we just all care about each other so deeply.